Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today is George Bratt. He is the founder and managing director of executive onboarding group Prime Genesis. He provided consulting assistance to companies such as Elizabeth Arden, Merrill Lynch, MTV, and Miller Brewing. He is the author and co-author of multiple books on onboarding. Today we're discussing his book simply titled Onboarding, in which he guides us through a process of how to get your new employees up to speed in half the time. George, welcome to the program. Delighted to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Half the time. Pretty bold claim. So we'll, we'd, I can't wait to dive in to figure out how to cut that in half. But the first thing I think uh, I want to clarify, so with our audience, we're all on the same page. Uh, please just quickly describe the difference between orientation and onboarding, because I think a lot of people confuse those two things. Well, orientation is a part of onboarding, but it's not complete. So orientation is a way that um, the best organizations use to help new employees start to assimilate into the company. The less appropriate orientations use it as a way to accelerate accommodation, and I'm sure we'll talk about the difference of those two things. So the difference is uh, on uh, Onboarding covers a broader range of things that you'll do to help a new employee accelerate his or her success. Orientation is one of those things. You basically ask him, what's the difference between a finger and a hand? Oh, okay. And maybe that's just my misperception, but do you find that that companies tend to substitute one for the other, or they're simply not, sometimes not even doing any onboarding, or they think they are, but they're really not? Yes. Both, all. Okay. Well, everybody does onboarding. You mean you have to? You, you hire somebody, they come in, you've onboarded them. The uh, the difference is whether you do it in a way that is going to help them be successful, or is neutral or hurts them. And companies definitely do things that hurt people. Interesting. All right, so let's jump right into it. The difference between assimilation into a company and accommodation, which I think you're talking about accommodations for the new employee. Yeah, let's, let, let's, let me give you the framework and then we can dig into it any way you want. Sure. We think, we've been thinking in terms of five words, align, acquire, accommodate, assimilate, and accelerate. And they're big words, so let me tell you what they mean. I mean, they're not big words, but they're you know, they're, in some ways, they're, they're kind of cute. Okay, they're broad, aligning, yeah. Aligning, we think, is what the best companies, the more successful companies, organizations, whatever. We, we, think, we think onboarding starts before the first con- contact with any potential employee. And aligning is about getting everyone clear on the context, what's going on in the organization. Why do we need this new employee or any new employee? Let's get a recruiting brief so that we, we know what we're going to do, and then let's map out an onboarding plan. I mean, And this is about 
getting everyone in the organization, or at least the key people in the organization, aligned around what you're going to do before you talk to anybody. So that's step one. Step two is then acquire, which is how do you source, select, close job offers, all those things. And the point here is that it's part of onboarding. Everything communicates. The way you, you talk to people during the interview is transmitting your culture and helping them get to understand you. So you got to think about that as onboarding. Then the first word that, that we just hit on, accommodate, which is about doing the things you need to do to make it so the employee can do work, have a plan, have materials in place, have their ID, computer, phone, whatever. Think about day one, but it's, it's getting, them, getting them ready. Assimilate then, the fourth step, is about making it so that they can work with other employees because none of these people are going to be successful on their own. So this is about announcements and things you're going to do, and we'll, I'm sure we'll go into depth on this. So that's the fourth step. And then the fifth step is accelerate because it doesn't end with orientation. You can't just orient them and say, great, day one's complete. They're onboarded. Thank you. Get going. You need to do things to help them accelerate for really an extended period of time. Yes, they will need less and less help as they go forward, but essentially you're either, it's almost like sharks. You're either onboarding them or offboarding them, and you need to keep swimming. So out of all of those categories, and thanks for that framework, it uh, gives us a way of really understanding the process that you're going to walk people through. Typically, when you go in and work with a company and you're asked to either improve or install an onboarding process, typically... Which one of those are they missing? Well, they're, they're missing different pieces. It started with the orientation. So you think companies mostly have those four categories, but they're missing parts of that? Did no, I hear I you correctly? Thought, I think they have not thought it through. Okay. I think companies, when, they're, when they start, they just do things. As they get bigger, they start doing more things. And then at some point they say, we need some practices, some processes or processes if you're on the other side of the pond. And processes, they say, okay, we need an onboarding program or we need an orientation. And they'll start with, they'll start with day one. And they'll start by doing some sort of orientation on day one. And then they'll say, we've got to get these people signed up. And we've got to get them to sign benefit forms. And we've got to you know, figure out how to pay them. And so they'll go from this orientation to some sort of accommodation. So typically as they get started, they start there and they haven't thought about acceleration, keeping things going. And they certainly haven't thought about doing things even before people start. So let's talk about the alignment part. Yeah. It's interesting uh, where you say, Let's get the stakeholders together and say, well, why do we really need this position, right? I think that's what you said. Okay. But aren't there some roles where we're always hiring? For example, uh, I can imagine a a company, let's say, that has territory sales reps, right? And uh, they've had territory sales reps for a long time. And so uh, territory gets vacant, and they just go to HR and say, hey, you know, find me somebody in the West Coast to be our territory sales rep. Uh, do we have to reconvene before we do that and and look at why we would hire that? Absolutely not, because that's a replacement position. That's filling an existing slot. Everyone knows what that territory sales rep is going to do. 
that's not a problem. Okay. The problem comes when we say, well, we've got all these territory sales reps, but it turns out we have some key accounts that cross territories. Let's hire a key account manager. Now we have an issue because we've got to, if we just go off and hire a key account manager, we're going to run all sorts of problems about who manages the key account in that territory sales rep area. Is it the territory sales rep? Is it the key account manager? Gee, wouldn't it be nice if we got everyone aligned around how this is going to work before we start recruiting our new key account manager? Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. And so when you're bringing those stakeholders together, you said you issue some type of re- recruiting uh, document? Yeah, my real background is sales and consumer products management and general management. And so a million years ago, I learned about a, uh, a tool called Creative Briefs at Procter & Gamble. And, it, and it's a way to go from the company to an advertising agency or a design agency or whatever to transmit a bunch of information. It's a way to, instead of just saying, hey, go do me an advertisement, you give them a creative brief and, and tell them what the objective of the ad is, the context, what you're looking for, what's the strategy, what are the mandatories, things like that. This is about applying that same idea to recruiting. Instead of just saying, hey, go hire me another territory sales rep. What you should have is a recruiting brief that says, here's the context. Here's what we know about the territory. Here's what we know about our business. Here's our overall strategy. Here's our our go-to-market strategy. Here's what we know about this particular territory. Given that, we're going to want a territory sales rep to do have this overall objective with these top three priorities. Therefore, we're probably looking at someone who has these sort of talents, this sort of uh, knowledge, and these sort of skills. It makes it easier for the recruiter to find the right people. It makes it easier for the hiring manager to evaluate the candidates against the ideal because they've mapped out the ideal. Yeah, I like it how you outline in your book where you look at that brief and go through the questions of why the position exists, the objectives out of that, the impact it's going to have, responsibilities that's going to be in that role, the organizational relationships. I think that's a very good outline. And what I, what I have found in, and maybe you find the same thing, is when you ask people the question why this uh, position exists, if there's five stakeholders in the room, you get five different answers. <laughs> No one can seem to know why it exists. <laughs> well, you're, you're laughing, but it's not funny. It is the root cause of a lot of failures. People, new employees, new leaders, fail for one of three reasons. Either it's a poor fit or poor delivery or poor adjustment to surprises down the road. And a lot of the fit issue has to do with uh, fitting within the organization. And if you've got five different people in the room with five different answers about what they want, it's really hard for a new employee to fit in with that because he or she doesn't know which way to go. Yeah. I like that. And like you said, if you have that brief, it makes it much easier for your recruiters to go find that right person. Exactly. And, and the other thing I think it's good for is when they bring in the final one or two candidates, you pull the brief out again and you say, okay, let's start, let's go back and compare it to what we wrote up. And see if there's not a match. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, if 
if our audience doesn't take anything away from this interview other than that, I, th- I think it's still a touchdown. That, that's probably the best piece of advice of turning, getting yeah. people aligned. And I, I like, um, I'm going to share this with the audience. I really like this. Uh, this is in the part of where you, you're talking about um, trying to acquire talent. And you say in your book, every interview question is the subset of one of these three questions. Can you do the job? Will you do the job? And can I stand working with you? And again, I think that's a, a, a very concise way of really boiling down that whole interview process. Of Because uh, if they can answer those three questions, uh, you're so much closer to making the right hire. So, again, that's in the book. And that's just one of the uh, tips that you have outlined in here about uh, uh, how to make each one of these stages uh, work for you and your company. All right, so let's let's go with our territory sales rep, and um, so we're going to have probably a VP of sales, or probably going to have a director of sales, we're probably going to have a sales manager. We're going to have this territory sales rep. That's probably the normal pecking order. I'm just kind of curious when uh, we're going to add this new position, uh, who should own that onboarding process? If we if we use that sales department as an example, we're going to hire this uh, key account manager, as you should say, and uh, who should make sure that this process gets run correctly in an organization? Well, okay, so you asked – there are two answers there. Okay. There's the who owns the process and who owns the onboarding. Oh, okay. Um, I think it's fine for somebody in human resources to own the overall process and lay out how it's going to work and what the tools and resources are and, uh, and develop it and get, get the best thinking and, and adapt the best thinking for the organization. But the owner of the implementation of the process with the individual employee has to be the employee's direct supervisor or boss. And here's the problem. And you go to any line manager, you go to your sales manager or VP of sales, and try to get them excited about onboarding, and they're not going to be very excited. They're not going to be interested. They're going to tell you it's an HR process, and they will want nothing to do with it. I have never in, in a gazillion years ever been able to get a line manager excited about <clears throat> the process of onboarding. On the other hand, what you can get these line managers excited about is delivering their business results. And if you tell them that to deliver their business results, they're accountable for their business results, and to do that, they need this new hire, this new employee, and therefore, they are accountable for getting their employee, new employee up to speed and productive as fast as possible, then you'll get their attention. Sorry, long answer. Short answer is HR HR owns the overall process but the hiring manager, the direct supervisor, has to own the implementation with the new employee. No, I think that's a very good way of putting it because the uh, I would agree with you. Um, in my role, my career being line manager, I, I could I would would never raise my hand and say, "Put me in charge of the onboarding." <laughs> not a, not a chance. Not a chance. But when you put it the way you do, uh, it's it's what's in it for them. George, I want to stay in the acquire section for just a second here. 
because you have another good graphic that um, that I wanted to share with the audience, and that is uh, the selection cones. It's a it's a graph that um, I think uh, every company should implement when they're running their candidates through the selection process because it just graphically illustrates whether you're upgrading and improving your talent, you're staying the same, or you're actually um, deteriorating, going a different direction. And what I think is great about that is that uh, too often we get to the point we just have to fill a position, right? Let's get a body in there without any consideration to, well, is this an upgrade? Are we treading water, meaning we're replacing the same talent with same talent? Or actually, are we taking a step backwards by bringing this person in? So um, for our audience, again, one of the best takeaways in that section is the selection cone. And I would encourage people to go out there and look at that as a way of just, again, monitoring the effect of their acquiring process. So thanks for putting that in. I thought that was great, George. Well, and, and, and thank you for that. And just to underline the point, it's uh, we really want people to make that choice. There are times where you just have to put a body in because you just have to serve the account back to our territory sales rep. You just need somebody there. And if you know you're, you're taking a step back and you know you're deteriorating, have a plan to get back on track. And maybe you hire an interim person or maybe you have this person and you split the territory later to get back to borderline. And obviously the goal is as much as possible to be continuing to upgrade the strength of your organization as you can. Just understand their trade-offs, and if you make the trade-off, know what, know what to do with it. Yeah, go, go in, I always say go in with eyes wide open, right? Love that. Okay, Love that. As, I, as I listen to you and we talk about these different stages of align, acquire, accommodate, assimilate, and accelerate, if you do that, I'm thinking one of the byproducts is you're probably able to recognize sooner that there was a mishire instead of a hire. Has that been your experience? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, in our case, as we work with people, we can figure it out really fast. And, uh, and the idea is if you've made a mistake, own up to the mistake and cut your losses fast. And so if you're putting an onboarding process in there, um, should there be those metric points where we're saying, hey, it appears that Sally's catching on or it appears that Sally is not going to make it? I mean, do you actually put hard markers in there and say if they're not doing this by this point? Or is it more of a, uh, I guess, a soft metrics, a feel? Well, I think it's both. But the, the more you can measure things and the more you can be transparent about it and the more you can make these two-way conversations, the better. If somebody's not making it, they know, and they're not happy. And, uh, you know, we've seen a bunch of organizations. I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I think Zappos gives people a bonus at the end of the week and says, you know, if you want to leave, here's the bonus we'll pay you for leaving if you're not catching on. So people can actually make money by leaving, and that way they, they get a chance to recommit. But having markers, um, you know, one of my one of my favorite ideas is once you uh, you decide you're going to hire somebody, you offer them a job, they accept the job. You shouldn't accept their offer, their acceptance. 
you should say, you know, why don't you go away and think about this overnight or over the weekend or whatever and do some rethinking and, and talk to some people and make sure it's right for you. Um, because, and that's a marker. That's a chance to give them, give them a chance to opt out, even just as they've accepted. Yeah. And we, we have a client that, um, once they figured this out in, um, I'm going to ballpark it here. I think the position first year, if you do everything kind of right, is probably a, about a $60,000, $60,000, a year position. But the key yeah. is in 120 days, you're taking a test on your product knowledge. Past the test, it's $10,000 bonus. So there's a huge incentive in the first uh, 90 to 120 days to, to stay focused on uh, what you're supposed to be learning. Uh, and they use that as a benchmark because and I think in the years they've been doing this now, they've only had one person not pass the test. And it was kind of like, oh, well, here's a red flag, right? One out of how many? And um, uh, maybe we just made a misfire here because they didn't pick up their $10,000 bonus. More importantly, they're not learning our products and, and how we go to market with them. So. That's another way to, I think, incentivize uh, your onboarding to keep people engaged and make sure that they're learning what they need to learn. Okay, so um, let's talk about uh, accommodating people, accommodating and assimilating uh, people. Um, What should we make sure we get covered when we get people to the accommodating stage? What are the key points there? key points are make sure they have a plan. So as soon as the person has accepted the job, their manager should sit down with them and say, let's map out together what you're going to do between now and day one, what has to happen on day one, and what's going to happen over your first hundred days and beyond. So have a plan, one. Two, there's, every company has their own accommodation checklist, but it's things like IDs, computers, desks, phones, whatever. Um, I, I think my favorite one of these stories is that a guy joined IBM and went to their uh, their campus purchase. And on his first day, he wandered down to the learning center. So the campus is up on a nice grassy hill, and the learning center is down a path through the woods. So he goes to the learning center and tries to go in. And the guard says, where's your ID? And the guy goes, uh, yeah, I don't have an ID yet. It's my first day. And the guard goes, well, you need an ID. Um, you, you can't get in without an ID. He goes, what, no, it's my first day. Uh, you know, if there was ever a day that anybody needed a learning center, it's the first day. Why don't you let me in? And the guard goes, listen, I don't care if you're the CEO of the company. You're not getting in this building without an ID. And the guy goes, I am the CEO of the company. And it was Lou Gerstner on his first day at IBM to make a point, walk down to the learning center and didn't get in. And, of course, there's so much wrong with this story. Right. <laughs> From, you know, you would think IBM could figure out how to give somebody an ID to what idiot didn't see Lou Gerstner walking down the hill and call ahead to the guard and say, you know that policy about not letting people in? Well, we're suspending it for the next 10 minutes. Right. But if IBM can't get it right or couldn't get it right then, it's amazing how many companies don't get it right. Just It's all about giving people the tools they need on day one. So they can log into the computer, get in the building, log into the computer, use their phone, and do work. Yeah. And in, in, in slowing down to think about what um, all the rest of employees are doing um, 
what they've learned over time that's become standard procedure that we forgot to document and and we forget to tell the new person, oh, don't forget you got to do this before you do that. It's like, you know, they expect that to be somehow passed down through some tribal wisdom type of thing. Okay. Well, and this is back to your this is back to your point about who owns your onboarding process. Right. You want the hiring manager to own the individual onboarding, but the hiring manager can't see all the tribal wisdom. Whereas if HR owns it, they can collect the tribal wisdom and pass it down in a standard process. There should be a checklist. It's not that hard. Yeah. So um, how do we um, accelerate um, these people? Right, we bring them on board, and let's say we've done our due diligence, we've you know done the alignment, and we've acquired right. We're accommodating, we're uh, simulating, um, but we'd want to add some speed to this. So, how do we accelerate what we're doing onboarding people? So, this is the back end, and and this is one of the the problems with a lot of on companies onboarding. They think it ends day one or first week or whatever. Yeah, ninety and days, it, right? You're up, you're done, and up and running, right? It, it doesn't matter. You know, pick whatever time, but it it just it never ends. These people need a lot more help than you think they do, and they need help with you know connecting with with their peers or with the key resources and continuing to connect. And so, the manager who wants to empower the new employee, great, just don't. Do it as fast as you think. Stick with them. Get them clear on their imperative. Make sure that they've got a set of milestones in place and you're helping them get those milestones done. Help them pick an early win. Throw some extra resources at the early win so that they get it done to build their confidence. Um, Help them think about, if they're a manager, help them think about the people working for them. Help them do a role sort. And the big thing is, it's just ongoing communication because this is inevitably about joining, converging into the culture, and then evolving the culture. And you're doing one of those two things or you're sitting there doing nothing. So acceleration is about picking the few cultural markers that you want to help this new employee evolve and working with him or her over really an extended period of time to do this. You mentioned, not only in this interview, but throughout your whole book, a common theme of communicate, communicate, communicate. Obviously, you see that as one of the key problems when you're onboarding people. So what's your, what's your trick? What's your advice? What's your, how do you get people to uh, communicate more effectively throughout this entire process? Well, you know, the, the trick and the advice is that there is no trick. And okay. as you said early on, a lot of this is really just common sense. And well, you would think so. You would think so. Yeah, I mean, what's that old line? You know, it's common sense. Too bad it's not common. But they, the, 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 the things we lay out, people who read our book or go through our, our program, get to the end and go, oh, this, this just made common sense, but I like the way you structured it. Communication is common sense. Everybody knows they're supposed to communicate. What they don't do is they don't structure it. And they don't put in place the markers in the timeline. So if I'm bringing a new employee in, you know, this should be no to my calendar to check in with them, pick it daily the first week, weekly the first month, you know, maybe biweekly forever. But 
you want to overinvest in communication with your new employee early on and discipline yourself. And don't miss the meetings. Don't miss the phone calls. And, and I'm not saying you have to spend three hours once a week talking to them, but check-ins. And, and so that's one. That's the communication between the boss and the employee. The second is don't assume that the new employee knows all the people that he or she must communicate with. Help them think through, great, you're doing this. Now, who else needs to be informed? Who else needs to be involved? Who needs to be consulted? Because they won't know. And instead of setting, instead of giving them a series of tests, set them up for success. It's the ABCs of management, you know, antecedent behavior consequences. Prompt the behavior that you want. Prompt the communication you want. Let them do it. Help them if they need it. But then thank them and reward them and acknowledge the good things they've done so you establish an ongoing communication loop. But the big idea, the trick as you would, is understand that it won't happen without discipline, follow-up, and follow-through. And in your book, and thanks for that, you address some of the myths in getting people onboarded. And one of my favorite myths you brought up was uh, a massive information dump allows newcomers to obtain what they need. Back to the, well, I'm communicating because I sat down and I told them everything they needed in this half day. So why is the information dump, which I'm sure we've all been through, not the most effective way to onboard people with what they need? Well, all right, here's an answer that you didn't expect. So it, it's one of my absolute favorite quotes, and uh, I'm going to pull it up because it's just stunning. Quotes. The uh, quote, our youth now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for their elders and love chatter in place of exercise. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up their food, and tyrannize their teachers. When was it said? Uh, yesterday. <laughs> uh, it could have been. The, I'm quoting Plato attributing Socrates several thousand years ago. Every generation forever has thought that the next generation just doesn't get it, doesn't live up to the standards of the previous generation. And it's the same story repeating itself over and over again. Every generation is the same, except this one. And what's different this time is the Internet. And what the Internet has done is it's given uh, people who grew up with the Internet unbridled information, unbridled data. They get, you know, they can see everything. Right. But... What they don't have is the ability to sort the data. What they don't have is the ability to understand the data because it's so overwhelming. So giving people a half-day data dump of everything, yes, you've given them the data, but they don't, you haven't given them the understanding. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to handle it, and they certainly don't know how to apply it. Right. So with the new people, you've got to, you definitely want to give them the data. You want to give them access to the data because they're data-hungry. But you've got to tell them what's so what, now what. Here's the data. Here's what it says. Here's how you should think about it. And here's how you should apply it in your first week, in your first month, in your first 100 days, in your first year. So give them the data, but guide them. 
And the trouble is, some people think that just giving people data is enough, and it's not. So, George, the biggest misconception about onboarding is what? People miss the point that it is really a crucible of leadership. And when it's done well, everybody benefits. The new employee benefits, the organization benefits, customers benefit, the manager benefits. Everybody does well. When it's done poorly, there's blood in the water everywhere. And so instead of treating it back to the beginning of this conversation, instead of treating it as orientation or treating it as a one-time event, if you treat it as a crucible of leadership, then everyone will take it more seriously, apply the common sense, and the world will be a better place. Yeah. Um, even if it's just their world, <laughs> right? So um, someone told me a long time ago, you don't need all the answers. You need the right questions. Yeah. So our people in the audience, what questions should they be asking themselves to kind of get a reference check? whether their onboarding is really up to Hoyle? So I'd give you five questions. Okay. Are we aligned? Before we do anything, do we have all the right people paddling in the right direction? Are we aligned around what we're trying to do? Two, are we, are we aware that everything communicates, including the way we source, select, and, and close these things? So are we acquiring the right way? Are we enabling this person to do work on day one? Four, are we doing everything we need to do to help them work with the other people in the organization? And then five, are we following through? Are we sticking with this long enough? In my experience, there seems to be more written about onboarding in the last five years and probably the previous 20 years. Why is onboarding becoming such a topic of conversation in business today? So when we wrote our first book, The, the New Leaders 100 Day Action Plan, I wanted to call it onboarding. And my publisher, Wiley, laughed at me. They said, nobody's ever heard of onboarding. You can't call it onboarding. And when we started our firm 13 years ago, we couldn't use the word. Nobody knew what we were talking about. And then a couple of years in, Wiley came back to us and said, the new leader's 100 action plan was for a new leader going into the job. And Wiley came back to us and said, hey, we, we need to do a book for the boss. And we want you to call it onboarding, <laughs> which was which was wonderful. Because, <laughs> you know, they've gone from nobody knows what, it's, what it is to people to, to being able to write the book to now there are people with the job title of onboarding and everything. It, it's not really a new idea. People have been bringing people into the tribe or into organizations forever. It's just a, a framework. And, and I think why people have gotten to it is they understand this 40% failure rate for new leaders. And they understand that it's stuck at that, and they, they see the pain of that, and they see the cost of that. And they have realized that Applying these principles, applying these ideas, make a big difference. I mean, you know, the people we've worked with, 
We've cut the, four, the failure rate from 40% to below 5%. It's, it's a meaningful difference. So if people apply half the ideas and cut their failure rate from 40% to 20%, that's great. That's moving in the right direction. What a long answer. The short answer is I think people are talking about it because it works. It makes a difference. And it's just common sense. And so it's not, this, it's, you know, it's not brain surgery. These are steps that anybody can apply. And if you apply any of them, things will go better. And the more you apply, the better things will go. I think that's why people are talking about yeah. it. In your experience, who is, who is driving the onboarding improvement? Who comes to you? And I'm thinking, is it the president? Is it the line managers? Is it HR director? Who usually initiates that with you? Well, it's all of the above. Okay. A lot of times, gosh, I mean, I remember it was, it was a, our very first sale. I, I contacted the heads of talent development or HR or leadership at uh, a whole bunch of companies, and one guy sent me an email and said, boy, I don't know if you're lucky or good, but our division president just walked in and asked me to fix this exact problem. So the contact was HR, but they were pushed by the line management right. in that particular case. So now what happens is, it comes from everybody. I mean, the line managers, of course, they don't care about the process, but they care about the results. And they say, there's a problem here. We, we can't keep losing these people. And so they push it. And then the HR people who understand the process and understand anybody that's seen it and seen the impact, they want to do it again. The one piece of advice you would give a company president today is what? Oh, pay attention to this. It's, if you're running a company... You own three processes. You own. You have to own the strategic process. You have to own the operating process, and you have to own the organization process. And as you're looking at your organization process, step one is acquiring the right people and onboarding them the right way. So it is absolutely not the only thing you need to focus on, but it must be one of the three legs in your stool. George, is there a question today I should ask you that I haven't? No, you did great. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, thank you. Our book is Onboarding. Our guest is George Brandt, How to Get Your Employees Up to Speed in Half the Time. I highly recommend it. George, you did a great job of, of laying this out. The book is full of time savers and things you call hot tips and tactics and strategies. It's just very well done. Include some uh, resources you can actually even download. So if you're interested in uh, listening today and you want to improve in this area, I'd highly recommend going this direction. But, uh, George, if people want to uh, learn more about what you do and how you do it, how would they contact you? We're very findable. They can Google me all over the place, or our website is primegenesis.com. And on it, you can download uh, a free executive summary of the book. It's got clickers to, to uh, buy the book, and uh, it's got articles and all sorts of things you can learn. Prime is in a prime number. Genesis is in the first book of the Bible, primegenesis.com. George, thanks for being on the program. Thank you, sir. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800 
950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.